persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be a servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard it of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above all my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James the Lord's brother. Now the thing which I wrote unto you, Behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. Continuing what we were talking about last week, how that Paul was marveled in verse 6, that ye are so soon removed from him which called you unto the grace of Christ, unto another gospel. Now, I, I really want to talk about this. Why is Paul so enamored with that? I mean, we discussed the importance of the gospel. We can't compromise the gospel and its message because it's Christ and, and uh, in him alone. It's his blood. It's his atoning work and what he has done and giving us the free gift of salvation is Christ. We understand that. But when he says in verse 6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him. It's not just a gospel, but a relationship. The gospel is not some creed or some words on paper or that time papyrus. It's not just that. It's not a system that we follow in repetition like soldiers. It's not something that we can just replicate like some cookie cutter religion, or we're not automatons that are just wound up like a music boxes that it, it is is an organic relationship where men and women boys and girls people who have been redeemed they put their faith in christ to save them from their sin and in that knowledge of that they have been justified they have been brought into the family they have been adopted they have been washed by his blood and this relationship has become real it is something more than just a simple religion. It is Christianity. It is Christ. Christ is the center. Christ is the nucleus of this organism, not just an organization. The church is an organism. It is alive. And let me just go over something, something real quick. Some of my notes here. Justification. Um, plainly and simply, God has washed us. He has cleansed us. He has done a work in our lives to the point where he as our substitute, took our place. The Bible says he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. Peter. Peter said this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like 
precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We've obtained a righteousness. We've we've obtained a, as Revelation says, when the bride, when she comes, she's going to have a robe of white. That is the righteousness of God that is cloaking her. That is cloaking us because we are the the bride of Christ. Now, when we stand justified, we stand in the eyes of God perfect. When we stand in justification, we stand in the eyes of God sinless. Christ has taken our place. That means as a justified, born-again child of God, God sees me as he sees his son perfect, righteous, and very, very well pleased. But there is two visions. There's two points of view. A young man I was talking to the other day in the church, and he was um, talking about how there are people that believe that they are sinless and believe sinless perfection in their doctrine. And I understand where he's coming from, dealt with many people like that myself. But the truth is, there's two perspectives. There's God's perspective of man and man's perspective of God and himself. From God's perspective, to man, we positionally, we are seated in heavenly places. We're already there. We're kings and priests. We have already become the victor positionally. But listen, as you and I, human beings and flesh and blood, we're still sinful. We still have that sin nature in us, that root of sin in our hearts, and we must combat that. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. If somebody had any excuse or any reason to boast of his accomplishments, it was definitely the Apostle Paul. And he said, "I, I have nothing to boast save the cross. No. None of us can can boast of that. So it has two perspectives. You have God toward man and position. Positionally, we are perfect. But practically, the second position, which is so important, practically, we cannot forget that we are sinful. And we must understand that we have a responsibility to combat the flesh, combat the world, and combat the prince and power of the air, Satan himself. And listen, the the main problem we have to deal with is our flesh, is our flesh. Now, we... We'll get to that very, very soon in uh, chapter chapter four and five. No, chapter five and six. Um, in chapter one and two, it talks about the authority of God, not not man's opinion. Okay, and that's what Paul is trying to do here in the rest of this chapter. He is trying to give his credentials. He's saying here, it is not me; it is God. I have come with the gospel directly from Christ, who has seen the manifested, glorified bodily resurrected Christ. And I have come with authority and not opinion. Chapters 3 and 4 talks about freedom and not bondage. Freedom. There is so much in life when it comes to freedom. Listen, there's some things in life that is worse than dying. And one of those is enjoying freedom. Listen, if a man cannot get out from under the bondage of debt, we see suicides all the time. MGM Grand, uh, that one of the one of the bosses there committed suicide not too long ago. Um, her um, her faith was in and her confidence was in money finances. And listen, during this collapse, we can't trust that freedom. There's some worse things in life worse than dying. Freedom, if a man cannot free. Let him be free. Give me freedom or give me death. Give me freedom or give me death. I agree with that statement. As an American, I am very thankful for our freedom, but we are losing it very quickly. Chapters 3 and 4, it talks about freedom and bondage. And then chapter 5 and 6 talks about the spirit and the flesh. The war of the spirit and the flesh. Wow. Now back to justification. Justification by the gospel. The gospel is the good news. 1 Corinthians 15. It's the death, the burial, the resurrection. It is what Christ did. It is his work. Perfect without a single 
single mistake without error. His work was perfect. It was accepted by God, and because God the Father accepted it, he resurrected his son from the dead. Now, there are three parts of salvation. Really quick, let me go through them. Justification, number two, sanctification, sanctification, and then thirdly, glorification. As a person who's been saved for 13 years, um, I was justified in the month of February 2006, 2006, and uh, it's been some time. It's been some time since that happened. God has justified me. In the past, I was saved, yes, and there's fruit. Number two, sanctification. I am being saved. I was justified in my spirit, saved in the past. Now I'm being sanctified in my soul, being saved presently in the now. And in the future, my body, I will be glorified. I will be glorified. My body will be new, will be changed. And listen, Christ is more than just a, a story. It is a relationship and not just a relationship. He is seen here as the gospel. He is seen as the word of God. And he is seen as the one coming in power and great glory. Now, let me relate those three real quick. Justification by the gospel. I was saved because of what Christ did. And that is great news. Wonderful news. That's what the gospel means. Great news. Number two, because Christ is the scriptures and he is the word of God. The Bible says in John 17, 17, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. Christ sanctifies us by his spirit. He separates us. He quickens us. He separates the soul and the spirit, makes man new and quickens him. Book of Hebrews says by the sharp an ever-powerful and ever-living two-edged sword of the scriptures. We are being sanctified by the scriptures, justified by the gospel, and glorified. We will be glorified when we see him, and we'll be like him when we see him as he is, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, as another part of the scripture says. We will be perfect, and that final perfection will be, is great. Our, our condition will meet our position. So, gospel, scripture truth, and the return of Jesus Christ, all done. Justification, sanctification and glorification and it just escalates from one it's not just i'm i was saved great but god gave me the tools i needed to be sanctified and god gives me the hope and the faith that he's coming again to finish what he has started to finish what he has started wow what a timeless truth and what a encouraging truth for us today that's why paul is so exuberantly excited about the gospel that is why he's so passionate about it it was paul's contention that the gospel he preached was no second-hand tale. He wanted to say it himself firsthand from Christ. It had to come from him directly from God. It was a great big claim to make, and it demanded some kind of proof. For that proof, Paul had the courage to point to himself, to himself, to the radical change in his own life. He said, I have no better illustration than my own self. I have become a testimony. The last verse of this chapter says they glorified God. Who wouldn't? He had been a fanatic for the law. He had been a tyrant for the Torah. And now the dominant center of his life was grace. This man who had once with passionate intensity tried to earn God's favor was now content in humble faith to take what he had lovingly offered. He had ceased to glory in what he could do for himself and had begun to glory and what God had done for him. He had been the arch 
persecutor of the church. He had devastated the church. He demolished it, wrecked it. He, as the King James says very well, wasted it. He wasted the church. The word he uses for utterly sacking the city. He had tried to make a scorched earth of the church, and now his one sole aim for which he was prepared to send himself and spend the rest of his life, even to death, which he did, was to spread that same church all over the world. Every effect must have been an adequate cause. When a man is proceeding headlong into one direction and suddenly turns and proceeds headlong into an opposite direction when he suddenly reverses all his values so that his life turns up side down some explanation is certainly required for paul the explanation was the direct intervention of god he had laid his hand on his shoulder and arrested him in mid-career that paul said is the kind of effect which god could produce there's a notable thing about paul that he is not afraid to recount the record of his own shame in order to show God's power. Paul said he was a persecutor. Definitely he was. Verse 13 and 14. If you have heard my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Most definitely. How sad, but how great a God would do that. Verse 14. And prophet of the Jews' religion above many my equals as mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. What a God. It's like the equivalent of God saving Hitler and then sending Hitler to the Jews. Because you know Hitler was a Jew himself. Paul now was a believer. Verse 15. But when it pleased God. I love that little con- conjunction there. When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me. And they glorified God in me. Verse 24. I love that verse here in chapter 1. Having discussed his past character and conduct, Paul now explains his conversion. We know who Paul was. He was holding the coats when they stoned Stephen. He was the one who spearheaded every sacking, every blitz, and every death of Christians. He was the one grinning. He was the one smiling, knowing in his own heart, thinking in his own heart and mind that he was doing the work of God, yet he was doing the work of the devil. He explains his conversion what a conversion he said god did it god did it when it pleased god paul spoke or wrote about his conversion and it was always with the emphasis on the fact that god did the work and salvation jonah says is of the lord not only did god do it god did it by grace chapter 1 verse 15 again when it pleased god who separated him from his mother's womb and called me by his grace. Paul's experience reminds us of the young Jeremiah. As a matter of fact, um, the life of Jeremiah and the life of Paul, I dare you to do a, a study parallel in them. They come from the same tribe. They have the same background. They have almost, almost an identical life. Very, very interesting study. Paul's experience reminds us of the young Jeremiah here in, in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 through 10. Uh, I won't for the sake of time, won't read that. If you would, read that on your time. And also John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 17. Salvation is by God's grace, not man's effort or character or anything. 
grace. God did it through Christ. Verse 16, to reveal his son in me. In another epistle, Paul made it clear that he had plenty to boast about when he was an unconverted man. He had religion, self-righteousness, as well as reputation and recognition, but he did not have Christ. When on the Damascus road, Paul saw his own self-righteous rags contrasted against the righteousness of Christ, and he realized what he was missing. Philippians 3, verse 7, But what things were gain to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Listen, God revealed Christ to Paul, in Paul, and through Paul. This uh, so-called Jew's religion, verse 14, had been an experience of outward rituals and practices. Listen, practices so vain. Jesus talks about all these vain things, vain jangling, vain repetitions, vain, vain, vain. That's what it was. But faith in Christ brought about an inward experience of reality with the Lord. This inwardness of Christ is a major truth Paul talks about. Galatians 2.20, Galatians 4.19. Listen, John Phillips says this about it. He said, John Phillips says, the letter not only was aimed at silencing the Judaizers, but was also designed to define once and for all just exactly what Christianity really is. Paul not only explains God did it, God did it by grace, and God did it through Christ, but God did it for the sake of others. Verse 16, to reveal a son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, and he also did it for his glory. Verse 24, they glorify God in me. When Spurgeon was a young preacher, his father, the Reverend John Spurgeon, suggested that Charles would go to a college to gain prominence. It was arranged for him to go meet Dr. Joseph Angus, principal of the Stephanie College in London. They were to meet at Mr. McMillan's home in Cambridge, and Spurgeon was there at the appropriate hour. He waited for two hours, but the learned doctor never appeared. When Spurgeon finally inquired about the man, he discovered that Dr. Angus had been waiting in another room, and because of another appointment, he had already departed. Disappointed, Spurgeon left for another preaching engagement. While he was walking along, he heard a voice clearly say to him, Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. And from that moment, Spurgeon determined to do the will of God for the glory of God alone. And God blessed him. God blessed him in an exceptional way. Paul had pictured himself as a persecutor. Paul had pictured himself here as a believer, a true born-again believer. He's seen the change. He's seen the conduct and the character change of once a persecutor, now a believer. Now let's look at him as the preacher. Verse 16 again. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James the Lord's brother. Now the thing which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which 
persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which once he destroyed. What were some of Paul's contacts with other believers after he was converted? This is a question vital to his defense. Paul had no personal contacts with the apostles after his conversion experience on the Damascus Road. Listen, he conferred not. He left. It would have made sense to go to the church at Jerusalem. That would have been just logical. But he didn't do it. He went to the desert. He left. He's gone. And in his decision, he was led of the Lord. For if he had gone to Jerusalem, his ministry might have been identified with that of the apostles, all Jews. And this could have been a hindrance to his work amongst the Gentiles. Listen, he was the pioneer to the Gentile nation. Listen, even though the gospel is to the Jew first, yes, we know that. Acts chapter 3, Romans chapter 1, we know that the ministry starts with the Jew. But when they stoned and killed Stephen, that's when it took a turn and began to go somewhere else. The focus began with the Jews. Then it eventually, well, whosoever will. If God's people won't accept it, then the heathen definitely need it. And hopefully they'll accept it as well. And they did. And Paul had an ability to reach them. He had an obligation. It remained for Paul to carry the gospel to the Gentile masses. Acts chapter 22, Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, God kept him from the predominantly Jewish ministry being conducted by the apostles at the Church of Jerusalem. God separated him so he could have a focused mindset on those who were not of the Jewish faith and the Jewish religion, those that were heathen and godless. Paul did not immediately go to Jerusalem. Where did he go? He went to Arabia, verse 17. This was after his initial ministry at Damascus in Acts chapter number 9. Instead of conferring with flesh and blood, Paul gave himself to studying prayer and meditation and met with the Lord alone. He may have spent the greater part of three years in Arabia. And no doubt he was involved in evangelism as well as personal spiritual growth. The apostle had received three years of teaching from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul was going to have his own opportunity to be taught of the Lord. Where'd he go after that? It says he went back to Damascus in verse 17. And you think it would have been logical to go back to Jerusalem at this point, but the Lord directed him otherwise. Certainly it would have been a risky thing for Paul to go back to the city that knew he had become a Christian. The city that looked to him as their champion against Christianity. Because that knew that he would be back in town, they would be after his blood. I preach a message on uh, the only time you want to let people down. Talking about in the Old Testament, in the book of Joshua, how Rahab let out a, a scarlet thread. 
out of the window and let them down. Talks about she let them down. Um, but she had a scarlet thread out the window. She let them down out the window. Now, there's a, what, what I call the basket incense in Acts chapter number 9. Also, Second Corinthians chapter 11 talks about people letting Paul down out of windows with a basket. Now, that's the only time you want to let somebody down. Please don't take that any other way. But Paul was running for his life on many occasions. Now, verse 18 to 20, he finally visits Jerusalem. This was three years after his conversion. And his main person here was to visit Peter. Paul had a pretty tough time getting into the church fellowship. Of his message and ministry had been from the apostles, this wouldn't have never happened. But because Paul's experience and what he had been through with the Lord and being with him alone in the desert, the apostles were very suspicious of him. He stayed in Jerusalem for 15 days and he saw only Peter and James, the Lord's brothers. Thus, he received neither his message nor his apostleship from the Jerusalem church. There simply was not enough time or the opportunity. He had already received them both directly from Christ. Next, after that, verse 21 through 23, he returns home to Tarsus. Again, the record in Acts explains why. His life was in danger in Jerusalem, just as it had been in Damascus in Acts chapter 9. As Paul went through Syria, he preached the word. When he arrived in Cilicia, his home province, he began to evangelize. Historians have concluded that he probably remained there for seven years until Barnabas recruited him for the work in Antioch. A few believers in Jerusalem knew Paul, but the believers in the churches of Judea did not know him. Though they heard that he was now preaching the very same faith that he once destroyed, in a lot of Paul's conduct, his conversion and his contracts, how could anybody accuse him of borrowing or inventing either his message or his ministry? Certainly he did receive his gospel by revelation from Jesus Christ. Therefore, we must be careful what we do with this gospel, for it is not the invention of men, but the very truth of God. Some critical scholars have accused Paul of corrupting the simple gospel, but the evidence is against this accusation. The same Christ who taught on earth also taught through Paul from heaven. Paul did not invent his teaching. He received it. At the time of Paul's conversion, God said he would appear to him in the future apparently for the purpose of revealing his truth to him. This means that the Christ of the four Gospels and the Christ of the Epistles is the same person. There is no conflict between Christ and Paul. There is no conflict between Christ and Paul. When Paul wrote his letter to the churches, he put his own teaching on the same level with that of Jesus Christ. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. The Apostle Peter even calls Paul's letters scripture. 
modern day Judaizers, like their ancient counterparts, reject the authority of Paul and try to undermine the gospel which he preached. In Paul's day, the message was the gospel plus Moses. In our day, it is the gospel plus any number of religious leaders, religious books, and religious organizations. You cannot be saved unless whatever, fill in the blank. Unless you get baptized. Unless you do this. Unless you do that. Acts chapter 15 verse 1 says, And certain men came down from Judea, taught the brethren, and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. What a heresy. How blasphemous is that to add to the gospel. And that quote-unquote except usually includes joining their group and obeying their rules. If you dare to mention the gospel of grace as preached by Jesus, Paul, and the other apostles, they replied, but God has given us new revelation. Paul has an answer to that. Galatians 1.9 As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach another gospel... Unto you than that which ye have received, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. That word there, accursed, means damned. Hell is his place and his destination. When a sinner trusts Christ, he is born again. He is born free. He has been redeemed, purchased by Christ, and set free. And he is no longer in bondage to sin or Satan nor should he be in bondage to human religious systems. John 8, 36, If the Son shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Now that's what Paul is trying to, to depict here. That's what he's trying to say. He is coming with authority, not from man, but from Christ. He's coming with a message, not from man, but from Christ. He is coming with credentials of heaven. Christ has loosened Paul. He has freed him, and now he is off the chain. Paul is on a journey of fixing the problem, what is going on at Galatia. Thank you for listening, dear friend. If you have any questions, comments, or anything you would like to say, leave them down in the comment section below. Like, share, subscribe, and please visit us on our website at brandonbaptisttabernacle.com. Also, if you're in the Tampa Bay area and you're looking for a solid Bible-believing church, look no further than Brandon Baptist Tabernacle. We're located here at 118 North Parsons Avenue here in Brandon, Florida, full of friendly faces and a hospitable atmosphere where God's people can grow, a safe oasis for God's people. Come join us under the tent here at the Tabernacle. Thank you. And may God richly bless you as you study God's word. And remember, Jesus is coming soon.